you, Father God. We shall live and not die. Can you say that out of your mouth? I shall live and not die. Because the Lord told us to live. In Jesus' name, thank you. Put your hands together, Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. I'm addressing this this afternoon. I'm watching the clock. 1224 in Jesus' name. Thank you. To the believers who are in Christ. And uh, I just really believe that as time is going on, that we have to prioritize, we have to strategize, we have to become more intentional with our lives. And it has just been bearing on my mind and spirit how much energy we give to the wrong stuff. The things that we, we focus on the wrong people, we focus on the wrong circumstances, and then we wind up not fulfilling purpose because we have focused for so long on the wrong thing. And so, because we had a little break, and in the midst of that break, we suffered more, we saw COVID rise up again. I, I had a birthday, which was another year of being al allocated the life force of God. It put me in a very pensive and contemplative place, which I believe I emerged from with a greater understanding of life and a greater sense of maturity concerning what it is that I have to do in the world. Somebody say amen. You all are a part of my purpose. Do you realize that? That you as an individual person, this church as a whole, corporately, what we are building in the nations is a part of why I am alive. So the way that I interface with our ministry, the way I interface with my position may be a little bit different from the way you do it because in your understanding, this may not be why you are alive. <clears throat> You may be alive. Your purpose may be to fulfill something else, and you might just come here because it's the church that the Lord led you to, or maybe you led yourself to it or whatever. But this is my assignment. This is my life assignment. So when I should have died in 1999 in Florida, when I actually began the process of death and screamed and cried out to God to deliver me, and he stopped my spirit leaving my body, he had all of this in his mind as to his rationale for not allowing me to die in that moment. Are y'all getting it? Okay. And so that being the case, it means that I have to pay attention to how I lead and how I pastor and how I interface and how I preach and how I teach and what the overall resolve and result is from what I do standing behind this pulpit. This is not about me. Okay, and, and I want y'all to get that in your spirit, get it in your mind, get it in your understanding. This is not about me, and I don't think that it's about me. I don't say that indirectly. I don't say that um, under the guise of false humility. I say it so that you can really understand my heart. That's why I stop them acknowledging me in every single service. I mean, I'm the pastor. You know I'm the pastor. You don't have to say it every single service. Somebody say amen. You know who the pastor is in the church. And if you don't know, you'll find out by the time I get up to preach. <clears throat> Somebody say amen. When this banner fades away... <laughs> Y'all know how much money this banner costs? When that summit was over, I said, we're going to use that banner. And when it leave here, it's going in my house. Because <laughs> the people that come to my house. So this is not about me. This is about the money that we spent on that banner. But I don't want you, thank you. I don't want you to misunderstand and to think that, that this is, because there are some churches where it's just about the leader. 
It's about the leader's life. It's about the leader's prestige. It's about the leader's honor. And everybody else is on food stamps and struggling. If you listen to the philosophy of the kingdom that I preach, it is a very empowering philosophy that will challenge you to be the best version of you that you could be, but then to be the best version of Christian that you can be. I challenge you to believe in your ability. So I'm saying that to say because when I, when I preach about apostolic ministry or prophetic ministry or the office of the apostle or the office of the prophet, I am not trying to aggrandize my position in our flock because it's not necessary. Somebody asked me why. Because I'm the pastor. Do y'all realize there's not one thing under the sun that will happen in this ministry if I don't permit it? So I don't have to beef myself up to be that. That's just who I am when I walk in the room. That's who I am when I'm in my room. Are y'all getting it? When I offer explanation of the calling, number one, Paul said to the church at Corinth, if I am not, give me more volume, please, just my throat. I haven't preached in a while. Um, Paul said to the church at Corinth, if I am not an apostle to anybody else, I am no doubt an apostle to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship. What was he offering? He was offering apologetics for his position as an apostle to validate the authority he had to say what he had to say. So he said, if there's no other group of people on the face of the earth that have to entreat my role as an apostle, you have to. And this is why. Y'all get it? So when I explain it, it's not that I'm trying to trying to idolize my calling. Y'all got to get that. Because this will stop y'all talking about it when we're not here. This will stop the conversations that he think it's all about him and every time he talks it's about him. I hear y'all. Because before I was an apostle, I was a prophet. Right? It'll stop all of that. What I'm trying to get you all to understand is the premise of authority that I function from to bring the church into alignment and into order. Okay? But the alignment and the order is still not the end all. The end all is Jesus. Y'all thought it was about your preaching dates and gigs. The end all is for us to come into an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us mirror and reflect his image in such a way that when we leave here, when we walk out of the door, when we go back to being citizens in society, that we are living prayer houses, houses of prayer that carry his glory and that begin to inseminate the darkness of the earth with his very being and presence. Do you know how much work it takes to get you to come to the fullness of the stature or the stature of the fullness of Christ? Do you know how many times we have to preach to get you to start believing the idea of what's preaching instead of just sitting here thinking there's another sermon and waiting to go home and still be the same way? Do you know how many times you come to church before it actually clicks? I'm just glad it's clicking. But do you realize that some of you I preach to you for years and then you'll call me today and say, oh, I get it. And I've been saying that same thing for 10 years. 
you see the you see. So Paul said to the church, he said, he said, I labor in travail and in birth pangs, not until you become a great preaching wonder, but until Christ is actually formed in you. So although you were saved and you were born again and you were filled with the spirit and you speak in tongues and you know how to blow the church up and you sing under the anointing and preach under the anointing, you do all of this stuff. The reality is that Christ being formed in you is a process. That doesn't happen instantly when you get saved. It's going to take some time for you to get you out of you. It's going to take time for you to be conformed into his likeness and image to the point that we no longer see you. We only see him. And that's not easy. Somebody say it's not easy. Let's tell the truth. It's not because it, it feels better being us. And responding like us and entreating life like us and entreating people the way we feel like it other than the way that he would through us. And so this is why Romans 6 says that the real issue for the believer is that we have to die to the old man. How dead are you? How dead are you? Come on, y'all. Help me. This is the intro and I got to get I've been talking for eight minutes. I got to I got to get to the notes. How dead are you? In a society that idolizes the idea of you and your own truth and you being you. And it is completely antithetical to salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if any man is going to follow me, number one, so that means everybody won't. That means everyone in the church won't. So, so he said, if any man is going to follow me, number one, he has to deny himself. Come on, y'all. Some of us miss salvation at the first point. You got to deny yourself, then you got to take up a cross, and then you have to follow him. And all three of those are patterns of self-denial. Number one, deny yourself. That means the right to be you. Number two, pick up a cross, which is heavy, in a place of death. Number three, you're following him probably into places where you don't want to be. So in the, this resurgence of where we have come, and in, in, in my focus and how I'm thinking, I've got to pay attention to the people that are not assigned to kill me. I, I got to focus on the people that are not assigned to suffocate the life force out of me. Because some people come to church and that's their assignment. I figured it out. I figured it out. Some people, that's their assignment. Their assignment is to drain you of all of your energy. It is to force you as a pastor into counseling them, and they never intend to listen to anything you're saying. It's for them to have dilemma after dilemma after, di uh, after dilemma that takes your prayer power, your focus, your energy, and that of your elders and your intercessors. It is to pay their bills. It is to assist them with all of the catastrophes that they have created in their own lives because they never listen to wisdom or the word. It is to walk them through valleys of the shadow of death because they refuse to follow life. And then when they get offended, they walk out the door. Not to mention they have inseminated everybody with their bitterness and offense on the way out. They are here to kill you. And so instead of focusing on them, I believe the Lord focused, he, he, calls, he calls me to look differently at some of the experiences and to pay attention to the people that are really here to get what it is that he's brought us here to get and to become and to do. Somebody say amen. 
So this is the praxis of our faith. Elder Bonaparte, this is my, it's like the state of the union address. So if we were in person on New Year's Eve, this is really kind of what I would have said. Somebody say amen. This is intended to fortify the arsenal of those who are called to lead and equip Christ's body. So we've established, I think, over the last 11 years that there are people that are called to leadership in the body of Christ. We, we established that. Okay. Uh, if you're called to lead, you got to know how to lead. It's not just organizational leadership. It's not just that. It is spiritual anointed Holy Ghost leadership because you're leading the body of Christ and not just the corporation. So we know with a church, there is both the spiritual side and the corporate side. Amen. We need intellect and knowledge and experience and expertise and aptitudes to lead the corporation. But in order to lead, you have to be anointed to lead because it's the body of Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is not leading you and empowering you, you won't know where to lead his body. All right. Um, this is also meant to bring alignment to ruling principalities and powers that are over this northeast corridor and the east coast uh, part of the United States as a whole because that is our sphere of, of influence and jurisdiction supernaturally. Our, our objective, this is our overall objective. This is what we're doing, right? This is like a CEO business meeting in the kingdom. That's what we're doing this morning, afternoon. It is to bring order and alignment and the fulfillment of God's will for his church. That's why we gather. Somebody say amen. amen. It is for order and alignment and the fulfillment of God's will for his church. That means that everything we do here comes from heaven down and not the earth up. Okay? So you might have 25 ideas of what we should do, but if heaven is not putting that on its agenda, it doesn't matter. Y'all listen it. Okay? Your previous ministry may have done a million things well, but that may not fit our culture. Your previous church may have held and conducted things in a certain way, but that's your previous church. And for whatever reason, as grand as they were, you're not there. Okay? So when you walk into this house, because of the role that I have as an apostle, my number one concern is, God, what are you doing in your body? And what is the direction your kingdom has to flow in? So every single idea has to fit into the construct of what it is that God has revealed that we ought to be, become, or be doing. Somebody say amen. amen. Acts 20 and 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So a position of leadership in the church of God or over the flock of God is appointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God who hovered over the face of the deep in the creation account, is the one by his own intellect and foreknowledge of us as created beings, he is the one who selects who has positions of overseership in Christ's body. Right? So take heed to yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Somebody say shepherd. Somebody say shepherd. Somebody say shepherd. Shepherding the church involves leadership. It involves guidance. It involves steering. It involves direction. It involves correction. The shepherd has a staff. The shepherd has to beat the sheep into alignment. 
The shepherd has to lead the sheep by green pastures and beside still waters. The shepherd has to feed them. The shepherd has to get them to drink. The shepherd has to shear them. Are y'all listening? Right? So the, the pastoral role in the ministry is that of a shepherd. And prophets also in the book of Ezekiel are referred to as shepherds. But the, the role is to take care of the sheep. All right? Somebody say amen. amen. He said, which he purchased with his own blood. Who purchased the church? Jesus Christ. With what? Okay? So then we understand by scriptural reference and inference that he did not just shed his blood for you to be saved as an individual and to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ on the cross shed his blood for the institution of the church. I'll let that sit. That got a marinade because y'all didn't get it yet. Somebody say the organization. Somebody say the institution. Somebody say the organism. So he shed his blood so that we can have order and alignment in this corporate setting when we come together. This is a part of what facilitates the purpose of God in the earth. And he never intended to do it without the church, even though the idea in today's culture is to get everybody out of the church and away from the church. And the church has changed. And now we're going to be virtual. That's not a church. You looking at the church on the same thing you watch pornography on. That ain't the house of God. Not this church. That's the people down the street. That's not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no shepherd in your virtual living room shearing you and correcting you and beating you back into shape with the shepherd's staff telling you that you are wayward and out of order or encouraging you and positioning you in a place to facilitate what God has placed in you. You can't equip us on virtual because we can't see you on virtual. So what about your gift? If the whole church goes virtual, then everybody's gift dies, except the people that are up here on the stage. Y'all not helping. Y'all not helping. If I take a speck of snow, a snowflake, it has the same atomic composition as an avalanche does. A little snowflake, a huge avalanche that has the power to destroy an entire city. So if God is going to get something done, is he going to keep anointing individual snowflakes? Or is he going to bring the snowflakes into an alignment with an avalanche that can actually do damage? See, it's not just an idea that you get to take to yourself and decide for yourself how it's supposed to be. He calls us into alignment and into order. Somebody say amen. First Peter 2 and 9 says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He uses uh, political and governmental and national terms on purpose so that you can understand the idea and the premise upon which he has gathered the ecclesia. Okay? Say you're a holy nation. Say we're a holy nation. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. All of those have parameters. There are things that he's assigned to the chosen generation. Ask Daniel. We'll get there, right? A, a, a royal priesthood. If anybody has laws and parameters that they had to abide by, it was the priest. If they stepped into the presence of God wrong, they died. Huh? Yeah. A holy nation, right? He says, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Say, say I'm out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. John 3.16 says this, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that the word for world there is not, it's not earth. He's literally talking about the systems that govern the world. Y'all get it? Most of us interpret that to mean that he loves the worldly people or the people who are not yet saved so much. That's not what he was talking about. He was literally talking about the cosmos. He was talking about the structure. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, into the cosmos, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Do y'all know people who don't believe in Jesus as the son of God, but they claim to walk with God? They're condemned. Now, you may not have to be the person to tell them they're condemned, but don't be duped into thinking that somehow they're not. That didn't go over well. (laughs) But that the world through him might be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father unless they come through. You don't know God apart from Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's impossible. Or else this God and our God, this, this Bible and our God is a liar. There is no way to come into communion or fellowship with the Creator except through Jesus Christ. So I don't know who the Muslims are worshiping because they enter in through Muhammad. Okay, just keep going, Carla. He said, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. How many people in the church hate the light because their deeds are evil? He said, they hate the light and don't come into the light unless their deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God here is what we're doing so number one it's the order and alignment and fulfillment of God's will for the church number two it's the acknowledgement of God as supreme and sovereign okay say our God is supreme and sovereign you have to get that in your spirit and you have to understand the, the tenor of his voice in this era. He's talking differently. He is interfacing with us from a different dynamic and a different perspective that we have never encountered. And we've been saying that for the last couple of years, but it is true. Okay? Now, listen to me. Don't get on the wrong side of that sword. Don't make the Lord have to show you what I'm proclaiming to you. Just believe it. Somebody say amen. He is sovereign. Okay, and he is bent on making sure his house recognizes his sovereignty. A lot of these people dying, I'm telling you all, it's judgment. It's because judgment is in the land. I'm telling you all, it doesn't make sense. Just like Noah prophesied for 120 years didn't make sense either. It's going to rain. They said, what's that? And they kept partying. He said, I'm building the ark. Get in the ark of safety. No, we ain't going in there. We're having a good time. For 120 years, he only had one sermon. That must have been a really boring revival. You mean to tell me you got a 120-year revival and you're going to preach the same message every night? Repent. 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 Are y'all listening? We are living in a different era now. We are. We are. Okay? 
And things that we have been accustomed to getting away with, we're not getting away with anymore. Period. You just don't. God has made us confront truth of everything, but he did it so that we could worship in spirit and in truth. He was tired of us worshiping through a veneer and with contraception. I think I said that a few weeks ago, but he really was tired of that. So he removed the veneer, showed us for what we really were. He removed the contraception, which was the membrane in the film that separated us from real intimate contact with him and made us sit in a place called truth so that we could confront things about ourselves that we had overlooked, some of us, for years. So that he could deal with it so that we could be fulfilled uh, or, or be released to fulfill our purpose. But on the other side of that is an increase in judgment. We'll get there. Okay? So acknowledgement of God as supreme and sovereign. The Bible says that um, Christ is name, has the name above all names. Uh, let's look at Colossians 2 and 8. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. Somebody say philosophy. Those are their ideas. An empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. All right? I'm trying to speed it up. But it's important that you realize that these are the things that are vying for your salvation. Okay? Philosophy. Empty deceit, traditions of men, and the principles of the world. And not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He is the what? He is the what? He's the head of what? All principality and power, which more than implies that he is the head of principalities and powers in light and in darkness. Okay? So let me help you with this. It's important that we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is given the name that is above every name and that he has been raised to sit above every principality and power and name that is named, it means that we are never subjected to the tyranny of demonic principalities. Never. Ever. Okay? So all of you prayer leaders and intercessors, we never pray from a place of defeat as if the enemy has the upper hand. Because if the scripture says that we are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power, and if it says that we are seated with him in heavenly places, it means that any time we address a demonic principality, which is the realm or the domain of a prince, or any time we address a power, which is the authority force inside of a principality, we are always looking down at them to do it. Because they are always in a place of subjugation to us because we are in Christ Jesus. Are y'all getting that? You got to get it. You got to understand it. Because we cannot say that we understand that God is supreme and that he is sovereign if we don't have understanding of the infrastructure that he is supreme and sovereign over. Okay? It is not just theoretical. It is not just an idea that because God created everything, he's the head of everything. That is a part of it, but it's not just that. He is logistically the head of it. So that means that even demonic principalities that sit in their seats and thrones of dark power and authority are listening to the sovereign's edicts. Okay? And then it also means, and we're not going to go deep into this now because I'm still studying it out to get an understanding of it, but it also means that Jesus Christ has principalities and powers of light. Okay? Y'all got that? All right? So when God raises up five full ministry offices, 
He is raising up a principality. We are creating a principality because we're creating a realm of rulership and influence in the realm of the spirit. So when God raises up this kind of ministry, well, I don't want to go deep into this. I really don't, so I want to scare y'all. But the demonic principalities are now matched rank for rank because he has to raise up houses that are commensurate with the rank of the demonic kingdom that's ruling in a territory in order for us to superimpose God's will and plan over and against them. So in order for us, if we are authentically called to do what we're doing, it means that we have to have a seat where when we deal with and engage the demonic kingdom, we're not doing it from a place of subservience to them. Okay, so part of Satan's idea, prophet, is to, number one, dismantle the ministry. So y'all, those of you that intercede for this house, the first thing you have to recognize is that Satan hates this kind of ministry. He doesn't care about gatherings of Christians singing and dancing and, and, and preaching Bible stories. He does not care about that. He can't do nothing about that. Somebody say amen. Wake up. Okay? Y'all realize that? He can't stop you from gathering as long as you are not effective against his assignment and agenda. So a church like this that understands that it has a seat as a prince that has dominion and that has authority to deal with the demonic kingdom, now he's got to launch a strategy against that house. Because if that house ever gets the footing it's supposed to have, he recognizes that they are going to completely overthrow and overturn his whole idea. That the people are going to be established in number one, authentic salvation. Let's start with really being saved. They're going to find out who they are in Christ. They're going to tap into the presence of God. They're going to become houses that manifest authentic glory. Not atmosphere. That when you walk in, the glory of God is overshadowing you. That when you open your mouth, the entire conclave of heaven, it, it validates and affirms what you say because you're speaking as one that stands in the council and in the presence of the almighty God. Satan does not want the body of Christ to come into the arena of maturity and growth in Christ's likeness. He doesn't want to see this house prosper. So number one, you got to understand he's coming or would try to dismantle this house. But here's the second part of that. He wants to use you to dismantle it. Listen to this. Watch this. Watch how many. Think, think about this as my voice is getting choked up. I don't, I'm, not, I'm so sick of Satan and all of your stupid minions. So I'll just talk through being choked up. You can't stop my voice. <clears throat> Imagine this. When we consider, I, I, I had to have a conversation with somebody. Lord, help me. And I, oh, oh Lord. I question everything, but I question their claims to loyalty and faithfulness to this house. Number one, I question that now about everybody. So it's all right. If I look at you a little funny, it's all right. Just keep being faithful. It's all right. I'll get it after a while. But now I question it because of my experience. Right. 
right? Because the people that say I'm right or die, they die. <laughs> they say, I'm right or die. Their commitment dies. Their loyalty dies. And, this, and I'm not bitter and I'm not bringing it up. I actually said it to make you laugh. So when I make references to that, please don't think I'm somewhere crying because <laughs> I guarantee you I'm not. Um, <laughs> but I was questioning someone's loyalty or, or claims to loyalty and faithfulness to the church. And, and maybe they were offended that I questioned it. And, and I said, well, this is why I question it. How do you represent our church outside of the church? So when, you know, when you have conversations with people about this ministry who have never stepped foot in here or maybe they have visited at some point, what do you say? How do you talk about it? How do you talk about the pastor? How do you talk about the praise team? How do, what is your criticism and your judgment? Hmm? Because the reality is that this, come on, y'all, let's tell the truth. And I'm, I swear I'm not bragging and I am not boasting, but there are not a whole bunch of churches in Connecticut where you can come and get delivered and healed. Now, let's just tell the truth. There are not, if you've got a terminal diagnosis, there are not a lot of places in this state where you can come and there are intercessors praying every morning at 5 o'clock that are keeping the heavens open to break the devil off of you. There are not a lot of churches that you can walk through the door and be greeted, kissed on your forehead by the presence and power of God. I'm talking about authentic glory. I'm talking about real anointing. And so when you misrepresent the house outside of the house, you just might be destroying somebody's chance at deliverance. But you can't convince me that it's the Holy Spirit that's using your criticism to cause people to look at the church in a negative way. It has to be connected to a satanic strategy to dismantle the house. So now we got people in this state walking around. I'll never step foot in that church. Why? You go to your church. You sit under your pastor. I can guarantee you I'm the holiest now I've ever been in my whole entire life. I got one wave. That's all right. I'll tell my own story. I'm the purest now that I've ever been. I'm the cleanest now that I have ever been. I'm the most delivered now that I've ever been, including preaching. So the devil is a lie. Ain't no problem coming sitting up under my leadership. Satan's agenda, God, I hear it, is to dismantle the house to keep you for being in, for, from coming into a place of being effective against his strategy. If you don't know that, you will fall prey to it. Listen to me, y'all. I just, all we have is an ear. So I look at leadership different. You got to be on par with the vision. And see, before... I kept my mouth shut. Now I'm not afraid to tell you I don't trust you. No, 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 no. 
Oh, I'm not scared now. Now I'm not scared to shut it down. Y'all listen to me. I don't care. I'm 43. I'm about to be 50. I'm over it. I'm over it. Beloved, I'm on a countdown to 50. You hear me? I'm no longer counting up. I'm counting down. There is no way in the world God can say, I've called you to do this in the earth. I've called you to teach and lead and instruct my people and to not rape them. Not molest them. Not use them as a means to an end. Preach the truth to them, love them, shepherd them, build them, empower them, position them, release their gifts, release their talents, give them platform for their skills, encourage them when they're down. Some of us have been in some of the deepest valleys, and I'm right there in the valley with you, you're going to make it. I don't even know how I got this low to where you at <laughs> to tell you you're going to make it, but you're going to come up out of this. Go out, walk through the valley. This ain't even my valley of the shadow of death. I'm down here with you, but we about to come out of this. To speak life and to speak truth into you so that you can realize no matter what your dilemma is that God's call and purpose is great. He said, Tell, he told me to lead the people. And then he said, replicate it, build it here and then replicate it, reproduce it in the state of Connecticut and then in the nation and then in the world. There's no way that can be my calling. Now, that's my call. That's my life call. That's, that's like if I don't do that, when I get to heaven, I don't know if I'm going to make it in. Because I wouldn't have been faithful with what he told me to do. I'll show you in the scripture. I'm almost done where he said those that endure to the end will be saved. So what if you stop enduring? Some of y'all think because you prayed that little prayer that that's, I'm telling, y'all, all I can do is tell you what the scriptures say. Nobody will cross over into eternity, uh, eternity that has been a part of this church ignorant. You won't be confused. I guarantee you won't be confused. Because we did not preach unsanctified grace and sloppy mercy in this house. I told you the truth. I said, we got to be saved. We got to be holy. We got to live right. We got to forgive. We got to walk in love. You got to get all that stuff out of your heart. You got to align your life with God. I said, that is the only confidence we have that we're going to make it in. I would not cross over into eternity living like hell thinking I'm going to heaven just because I prayed a prayer. No way. Right? So Satan's agenda, let me get through this, is to dismantle the ministry. That's what he wants to do. That's his idea. And this booger is so, oh, Lord, I almost cussed. I did. I, I haven't been to church in a while. I don't curse regularly. Y'all just pray. He's so strategic. Mm. Such a mastermind of deception. I, I, Satan will connect to your ministry 
in year five to launch a plan in year 10. And stay under the radar. He is so strategic that he will attach to your ministry in year one and wait till year seven to launch the insurrection. He will sit in your house on your leadership team and your choir and your praise team and your band, wherever he could find a seat. And inseminate people with philosophy and ideology that is contrary to the vision of God for that house. And build an alliance of defectors and insurrectionists. Because the agenda is the church has got to fail. See, here's the difference between me and other pastors. Let me just give this to you. I don't mind admitting error. And if I'm wrong, I'll tell you. And I'll look for forgiveness if I'm wrong. I'll look for your forgiveness if I wrong you. Is that true? You've been walking with me all the years of this ministry. Is that true? We've been married for almost 22 years. If I'm wrong, I'll admit it. Right? So anybody that has ever fallen prey to Satan's trap of offense here is because they were more in league with Satan's idea than God's plan. There's no other way to look at it. I, I refuse. There's no other way. There's absolutely no other way. Because if anyone comes to me and says, let's keep our covenant intact, this is where I was wrong. This is where I was hurt. This is where I didn't like what you said. This is where I didn't like what you did. This is how I think you mishandled me. This is how I think you mistreated me. This is how I think you did something wrong. I would say, you know what? Even if my, even if my, my judgment of the scenario doesn't change, I'll repent for the mode that I used to deliver it if it affected you adversely. Because my assignment is to build you. I don't want, what good would, would, would you do me as an ineffective person? that doesn't think highly of yourself and that doesn't know your own power or strength. So I, that's counterproductive to vision. I don't ever want you to feel that way, ever. There's no scenario where that's going to benefit me or us. So if you walk away from my presence feeling like that, then that means I did something wrong and I got to fix it. Are y'all getting it? So it, it, it shows me that when people are offended or bitter, they choose offense and bitterness. It, it's just a choice. I'd rather be upset. I'd rather not like you. I'd rather not like that church. But it is, it becomes a contributing factor to what the enemy uses to destroy it. Because now the people that are offended and bitter carry the rhetoric of their offense and bitterness whenever they mention the church. It's like spreading seeds of bitterness into people. And the Bible talks about when the root of bitterness grows up. It defiles many people. So the objective of offense is not just you've been wrong, it's to defile people. So when that spirit is using you, watch this, you think it's just about your justification. No, it's the spirit using you to defile many. And it becomes a part of Satan's plan. And then they all network. So it makes it more believable. Nope, I already apologized to you. So why are you connected to them and you mad? We already fixed this. It's kind of like on Housewives. <laughs> when they fix everything, but then the reunion comes, and then they got to talk about it again. Now they're mad that they don't speak again to the next reunion. Wow. Yeah, but we 
already talked about, we already hashed that out off camera. <laughs> we, we was over that. You came to my party. I went to your party. I bought you Chanel. You bought me Gucci. I mean, now we mad because now we're confronting it in a different arena. Are y'all listening? Now, why, why am I I'm taking the time to do it so that you understand? Just don't be a part of it. Come on, y'all. Don't be a part of it. And some of y'all in here are still a part of it. You just still are. And I just don't want you to be. Just stop. Be nice. Eddie used to say that when he was little before he get to it. He said, E nice. Just E nice. Just E nice. Don't let nobody talk bad about your church or your pastor. And it's not about us. It's about the vision. All right, I'm done. I'm done with that point. Did I make that point? E nice. God has a supernatural infrastructure and includes principalities and powers in light and in darkness. I'm skipping through this whole part. He is the head of all principality and power. So if there are principalities of darkness, it means first there had to be principalities of light that darkness copied. Okay? Satan did not create the infrastructure. God created it. And what we understand about the law of the spirit is that when God creates something in eternity, it maintains that function in space eternally. Because there is no time in the equation to morph it or to change it. Y'all get that? In eternity, there's no flexibility. Because whatever it is, however it is, in an eternal realm, it is eternally that. Right? We talked about salvation. That's why that one second that you hinge on death going into eternal life, if you are not a believer, the second you cross that threshold, you are stuck in that space eternally. Whatever you are. There's no longer time in the equation to alter, okay? Because for something to change, metamorphosis, there has to be time, okay? That's what happens when God gives us a miracle. He takes the time out of the equation. So what should have taken you six months to heal when it's a miracle, it's instantly healed because he removes time, right? And eternity touches it. So it's important that you all recognize that. So in the realm of the spirit, the principalities that were meant to function as principalities of light, when they defected, they remained as principalities. They just stepped over into a realm that was void of the emanation of God. Darkness doesn't mean the light was out. It's the absence of God's being. Okay? So when we're talking about the kingdom of darkness, imagine that. We're talking about an entire kingdom that God is not present in. The omnipresent God is not present in the kingdom of darkness. That's what makes it the kingdom of darkness. It's a system, it's an order, it's an authority, it's a function, it's a presence, it's an activity that is completely void of God. It's almost like a supernatural vacuum, okay? And Satan is running it. How dare he run something outside of God's order? That shows how, just how disgusting he is. That he's going to masquerade like God and has seduced a third of the host of heaven to follow him. And they have no choice but to follow him still. Because now they are bound in chains of darkness. Void of God. Absent of God. Of which he has asserted himself as the king and ruler and prince of darkness. So they follow him. And they mimic what they remember and perceive from light. So Satan runs that kingdom as if he were God. And they follow him like he is. But it's all a facade. Hell was created for him and his angels, not even for you as a human being. That was never God's intention. Imagine that. You're running a whole kingdom and system and trying to get them to believe in a vision that's doomed to hell. 
Satan will never prosper. His kingdom will never prosper. The end judgment has already been set. He is a damned being, Ezekiel 28, Abad. He was destroyed and damned when he lost his feet in heaven. So everybody and everything that follows him is damned because the judgment has already been set. So imagine when people are in the house of God and they connect to the Luciferian complex and then they try to interject a damned agenda into God's society. What Satan did in heaven before he got kicked out, he does now in the earth through people like you and I. And I'm not talking like I'm exempt from it because he could come and whisper it to me. I've seen it. I've watched it. We've seen that in the world. People who were well-known as prophets in the 80s and 90s are now warlocks and witches. There's one such witch who pastors a very nice church in Connecticut. And I know they're a witch, and that's why they hate me. I've seen them in the realm of the spirit coming to visit me. So I said, what are you doing in here? I bind you. I break your power. I shut the gate of egress that you use to, to astral project into my sphere. And I'm praying that God shuts your church down because you're a witch. And your people don't know it because they don't know enough of the word. They only know you. But I know it, and they know that I know. I visited the church a couple times. Some of y'all have come with me. And the leader sat there and looked at me and then had a whole meeting with their eldership about me and talked junk about me to the eldership. Yeah, they left and told, just in case you're watching this. But that's the war. Because now I got to figure out how to deliver faithful people from the hands of a witch. Because y'all have proven your faithfulness and you're proven that you'll give and you're proven that you'll buy property and stuff. Why don't y'all come do that with us? That leader talks about this church. That leader talks about me. That leader will gather and convene prophetic voices some authentic, some other warlocks and witches. As if to say, and I don't, you know, hey, they excluded Jesus. Exclude me from your little club, because once I get there, you ain't going to let me be there but one time anyway. After I finish saying everything I'm going to say. I get that. But you're not hurting us by excluding us, because I know my seat here. And I'm trying to train our people to understand their seat here. All right, keep going. He has an infrastructure. Somebody say infrastructure. He's the head of all principality and power, which includes in light and in darkness. And he has principalities of light in the church. Okay, I'll just give you this. I won't read it. Revelation 1, 12 through verse 20. Apostle John sees the Lord Jesus Christ in a transfixed moment. I'm going to get through this. I promise I only got a couple more points, and I'll just read and I'll stop talking. Uh, but he's in that trans. I'm not going to pace because that makes me talk. 
He's in the transfixed moment. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. He has seven stars in his hand. He explains the mystery of the stars to say that they are the seven angels of the seven churches. Okay? So there is a collaboration. Once you start to be raised up by God to a certain level in leadership, this is important that you get this, that there is a collaboration between heaven and earth and the veil between the supernatural world begins to thin. Okay, so you all understand that there is a supernatural world, that God is in a realm that's not this realm. So when he comes in, we don't see him walk in and sit down. Okay, so there's a realm that's not this natural. Y'all get that, right? That's not spooky. I'm not trying to scare the people. People get scared. Um, so we establish that that's a real world. Okay? The higher up you go in God, the more you interface with his world. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book right now. This is another one of my books. And I'm writing a book about my encounters with the sovereign Lord. And in the book, already I have about 15 chapters of, of different, no, listen, of, of different encounters that were all supernatural in nature, right? Because in order to do this kind of work, God can't be an idea. He has to be a reality. And the only way he can be real enough for me to put my life on the line for it is that he has to sear in my consciousness the reality of his world. Every apostle is the same way. Every prophet is the same way. Paul, when he was given his discourse of apologetics, he said, have I not seen the Lord? He was talking about by revelation because he didn't walk with Jesus in the natural or in the flesh. By revelation, he saw the Lord. It's a part of the criteria for apostleship. You have to have those encounters, and you can't make them up. Some of y'all make it up. <laughs> oh, I was in the spirit. <laughs> and I saw in the Shia. <laughs> and I'm just waiting for the punchline, scrolling through, watching Housewives, like, okay. Housewives of Jersey is about to come back on. Yeah, I think that's my favorite part of the franchise. Um, when the encounters with God are authentic, and I'm not relegating them just to five-fold ministry. You can have them. You press into God, you, he'll give you an encounter. You can have an encounter with God. Um, but when you have them, they are transformative, and they completely impact your life, and you are never the same again. Never. When the angels of the Lord walk into your room, and when he takes you out of this realm, into his realm, and you're caught up like Ezekiel, Ezekiel said, I'm somewhere between heaven and earth, and there I saw the visions of God. When he begins to reveal himself to you that way, you never, ever, ever go back to being a, a mere mortal because you recognize the supernaturalness of your God and his power and what's backing it. Okay? So there is an interface between heaven and earth, and this is the dream that you had. Okay? Because the Bible talks about how we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And so people who die in Christ become a part of an insulation that protects us. So heaven is not just up. It's a dimension. I'm not going all day today. But it's a dimension, and, and, and it is a dimension that surrounds us, just like hell is a dimension that surrounds us. I've had encounters in hell. I've had encounters in heaven. 
And it's dimensional. It's not just geographic. You can't bore a hole into the center of the earth and find hell. You can't take a shuttle into the sky and find heaven. It's a dimension that you cross over into. It's more parallel than it is directional. Got it? But we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And so when the people who die in Christ without seeing the fulfillment of their promise from God, when they cross over, now the baton is passed to us and they're watching. This is all Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And they are cheering us on because now the fulfillment of their promise comes when we fulfill the promise that God has given us. Okay? So that's why you would see people that have crossed over into eternity doing the works of ministry like us. And there are, there are layers to that. And so we'll walk through that as we need to. But there are layers to that. Um, the third of which, when you talked about my eyes, me giving you my eyes, that has, that's loaded. That's loaded. Um, that says a lot about your calling and a lot about your specific position of succession. That is a very high calling because it means that now you would have to see the world both supernaturally and naturally exactly as I see it. That's a big deal. God help you. <laughs> you dreamt it. I didn't ask for that. Okay? Play something to, oh, well, you do it. I'm funny. They say people born in January have very dry humor. And so I'm just like, you know, you just say stuff is real flat and dry, but people laugh anyway. That's what they say about us. Three points. What did it say? So we're here for alignment and order. Number two, supremacy and sovereignty of our God. Number three, the perpetuation and the proliferation of the faith. There is a the faith that was entrusted to the saints, and that's what I feel called to guard. Y'all hear that? I'm not willing to allow our faith to fall in the hands of a generation that's going to bastardize the faith. Because, and God spoke very clearly to me, very clearly. And both uh, Elizabeth and Mary are pregnant at the same time, but it takes what is in Elizabeth to pave the way for what is in Mary. There has to be a communion and a collaboration between the generations. He never puts it all on one generation. Because if Mary's baby was birthed without a path to walk on, there would have been nowhere for Jesus to go. So God's not dropping the church in the hands of the millennials. I'm sorry. You're strong, but not wise enough. And we see that. You don't have a wisdom. There's a wisdom that is being missed in whatever generation is under the millennials. You have to stick to the pattern. The old ones are wise and know the way. Elizabeth's baby preparing the path the young are strong enough to carry us where we have to go but it takes both because you could have all the strength in the world with nowhere to go and nobody benefits from the strength yeah you got the money the influence the platform the power but you don't know what to do with it so you're spitting on people because you have no idea what to do with the magnitude of that platform on one hand, you can give away $7 million worth of things. And on the other hand, you have to go viral because you don't know how to keep your spit. In your, like your mom tells you don't spit on people. Like didn't they tell you that when you were little? Like don't spit. 
It's just common sense. But that's why you need the old because they understand the way. And they'll talk to you. And so what we're not, again, come on, we need millennials and whatever's after them. Pardon me for not knowing them because I have some of that, whatever that next year. I don't even know what I'm called. I think I'm Generation X, the unknown. Because we about to pop back on the scene. Just give us a few days. Just give us a few days. We're popping back on the scene because y'all need us. Trust me, you do. X has been hidden, and we've watched what both the baby boomers and the millennials have done, and we understand our role of reconciliation. God's not going to drop the faith in the hands exclusively of a generation that doesn't recognize their clothes are too tight. First of all, that can't be comfortable for the males, and the ladies are going to get a yeast infection. Like, it's just loose here. Am I too graphic? Well, at least I ain't spit on nobody. The next thing is the discipleship of the nations. Okay? So we have to perpetuate the faith, proliferate the faith, but then we have to disciple the nations. And that's not just people groups. It's literal nations. How do you disciple a nation? It's not going to the nation, passing out, passing out tracts. You got to sit in the seat where the head of the nation sits to get their nation. So then what does that mean? It means the church has to have enough influence to not use a mega platform to spit on people but you have to be able to use a mega platform to get the heads of the nations to be interested in what you're saying so they can invite you in for coffee. And then you can sit there as the oracle of God and give them the word of the Lord to steer their nation. So we have to disciple nations. Can I give you another piece about discipleship? Discipleship is specific and germane to the execution of apostolic ministry. Now, let's take, the, let's, let's take the Bible in context. I'm really done. Let's take the Bible in context. Context. When Jesus said to make disciples of all the nations in Matthew 28 and 20, who was he talking to? Dubair said the disciples. But what were the disciples about to become? They were about to become apostles. So think about this. When he said to them to make disciples of all nations, number one, they were exiting a specific program that he had put them through. We call discipleship coffee and tea and cookies with the pastor and reciting Bible verses. That's not discipleship. That's not, that's not contextual discipleship. These disciples, as students of the Lord Jesus Christ, knew what it was to see him feed 5,000 men with a little lunch by multiplying the food. They knew what it was to see him walk on water. Peter, James, and John knew what it was to enter into prayer with him and to enter into such a dimension that Moses and Elijah appeared in physical form in the midst of his prayer. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him deliver the man that was possessed with a legion of demons who was a demonic gatekeeper to a territory, which is why he had to confront him when he entered into that province. So this is their, this was their practicum. This is what they were learning as disciples. So when he told them to make disciples, he's saying, now put the nations through the program that you just left. He's not talking about recitation of the Torah. 
Come on, y'all. You got to hear. Y'all don't like it. It's all, I gave you too much. Y'all got mad because you got the three people you discipling. They on the phone with you every day praying, speaking in tongues, and we don't know where they came from. Doing Bible memory, Sunday school on Wednesday night, and when y'all supposed to be in church with us or on live. And you call that discipleship. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ actually gave them to give. Because upon his ascension, Peter's shadow could heal. So if he's going to disciple students, he's going to say, let me show you how to walk with me and the power of God flow through you. That miracles are in your shadow. He wasn't talking about sitting down, talking about, oh, we love the Lord, how to forgive as a Christian. It's not the discipleship he talked about. The nations are not interested in that. But if your shadow could heal and you could walk on water, I guarantee you there's a prime minister that wants to talk to you. So if we are going to look at discipleship from the Christ perspective, then we have to recognize the commission that comes on sentinels. And then we have to be willing to be indoctrinated with what he has commissioned as the order of the day. First century church continued every day in fellowship, the breaking of bread, the apostles' doctrine. How did the apostles have doctrine? Because they had been with Jesus and he taught them what to teach. Keep your little Bible groups. Keep your verses because some is better than nothing. But recognize that's not what he meant. If you want to be discipled, you got to really come under the yoke of someone who has already been discipled. You got to come under the yoke of someone that has doctrine to teach. You have to come under the yoke of someone that has experience and realms to open you up and bring you into. Jesus said, come pray with me. Let me show you what happens when I pray. They were so mesmerized. They said, Lord, should we make three tabernacles? One for you, one for Elijah, one for Mark. Let's stop trying to make tabernacles. Hush and listen and see what's happening. The ones at the foot of the mountain that did not have capacity to go into that dimension. Because they did it. The rest of the 12, the nine, could not go. So then even within the group of disciples, there are levels. John was entrusted with the book of Revelation. I mean, yeah, John was entrusted with the book of Revelation. James was actually the first bishop and leader of the church. Peter had the shadow that could heal and gave the inaugurative Pentecost sermon. How did the three of them become so prominent in apostleship? They were the three that had capacity to go the full length with Jesus into the places where he went. Judas fell because his ideals never aligned with Christ, even though he walked with him for three and a half years. Three and a half years in the presence of God was not enough to transform him. So that shows us that there are still people untouched by the glory here. And it's okay. Be you. Do you. Whatever that is. But it doesn't get to hinder us. See, I was letting, I was letting the one, the Judas, hinder us. I don't even have time for the Judas spirit now. I don't have space. Everybody stand. Order and alignment, supremacy and sovereignty of our God, the perpetuation and proliferation of our faith, 
the discipleship of nations, which includes cultures, ethnicities, systems, nationalities, people groups, families, generations, heads of nations, which are world rulers and world powers. Tyra, we have to get to the point apostolically and prophetically where we have an audience with people that are world rulers and where they want to hear what we have to say because they are principalities and how they respond to Christ will determine whether they're principalities of light or darkness but because of their influence and governance in the spheres of the world they literally are principalities they are in they are physical embodiments of principalic rule and powers and authorities I didn't realize that until I had a vision God took me into a vision and sometimes these visions are more like trances you know there's like a vision that you see but then there's like a vision that you're in it and then there's a vision that you're in it but you're watching it from a distance this was I was in it watching it from a distance and I saw the world ruler that spoke to President Barack Obama upon his ascension into the presidency. I saw it. I saw the spirit that came to whisper in his ear. It came up on the right side of him from behind and it began to fill him with an entire agenda of what he had to do. Now, what would have happened, and he did it, and the majority of it was against us. Are you willing to join the protocol team? Just nod. You don't know what the protocol team is? Wave your hand. 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 He said, yes, come stand right over there. Just let that anointing, there's a repositioning, Todd, happening in your life. I always call you Todd because I have felt that God is changing your name. Sometimes when we're just relegated to being a junior the senior is the cap you will transcend your senior in so many ways so I call you Todd that's no dishonor to your father you understand that, it's no disrespect but I saw the Lord repositioning you and I just had to do that, is that okay? you're evolving this is just a word of exhortation into your manhood is falling on you like a, like a garment. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the, the transformation. It is important to me as your pastor that you are a man of God. A man of God doesn't mean preacher. It doesn't mean any of this. A man of God is a man that walks circumspectly before the Lord who understands who God is and understands who they are as a male in relation to the sovereign God. A man of God is a man that will pray, that will hear God, that will build their family, their unit, and their universe under the auspices of the Holy Spirit and how God tells that man to be. A man of God will listen to God tell him who to marry. He won't marry a witch because God won't ever tell him to. Y'all hear that? So if you married a witch, God didn't tell you, unless he was trying to destroy y'all. Well, the, the spirit in Micaiah, he said, I'll be a lion spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Sometimes God will, that's another sermon. So if he told you to do that, a man of God will listen 
to the voice of God, instruct him in business, in relationship, in entrepreneurship, and you'll build something spectacular that your family gets to eat, eat off of. You'll build multi-generational wealth. Being a man of God will teach you how to love your wife, how to be a man of integrity and a man of character, a man of honor that her heart can trust. Yeah, we've made mistakes. But being a man of God will redirect you and reroute you from the mistakes and restore you. And you don't have to make the mistakes. I've made enough of them. Talk to me. I can help you. But you're going to be a prolific man. A prolific, strong, leadership-oriented, driven You'll be ambitious. You're, you're going you're gonna to sink your teeth into something that is going to excite you and it's going to become like your life's mission. I don't know what that is. I don't see what it is. But I know that it is about to come into your life. It's going to be an idea. It's going to be a something that you are going to be completely enamored with. And you're going to sense the call. And you're going to go after it. You're going to build it. You're going to build businesses around it. It will impact your relationships, who you connect with, who you network with. It's going to be a huge thing, but it's going to be amazing. And the Lord is giving it to you, Todd, as a gift because you trust him. You literally trust the Lord. You have experience with him. You have felt his presence. You know his voice. So it's important to me that you keep the faith and that you become the man of God that he's called you to be. In Jesus' name. Right? Uh, discipleship of nations. And then this is the last piece. This is a snapshot of where we are right now. Number one, we're in a season of judgment. Number two, God is purging, purifying, and preparing the church. Number three, he's reestablishing the order of his governing authorities. Why? Not because it's about the authorities. It's just that the authorities have to put the rest of the thing in order. Right? A well-oiled church machine is not God's objective. The encounter with Jesus Christ is the objective. Right? We saw that in Solomon's temple. When everything is in exquisite order, according to the pattern, then the glory comes and it messes up your order. But there has to be order first in order for the glory to come in so that the priest can't minister. You can't have disorder and expect glory. It never comes. So you build the order. Elders, do this. Elder, this is how you stand. Elder, this is how you serve. Minister, protocol team, this is how you do it. Worshippers, you got to be on a fast. This is, it's, it's bringing in order that brings his glory. Y'all got it? And then that encounter transforms us. But it's reestablishing the order of his governing authorities to reform the ecclesia and his enterprises, which includes his institutions and systems set in the earth to govern the spheres of society or the mountains. He is reorganizing and realigning. Number five, he is maturing and perfecting the flock, which includes healing, deliverance, and indoctrination of his truth. He's bringing us into places of healing and deliverance, period. If you're a part of the body, he's healing you. You may not want to be healed. You might want to have your pity party. I'm telling you, it ain't going to work. He's going to snatch you out of it because he's bringing us into deliverance. It's just, it's just the time that we have to be a mature body. Number six, the identification as sons of God, no longer just church members and no longer just kingdom citizens. Because you can be a citizen of a kingdom and not reflect the image of the God who called the kingdom into being. 
sons of God, it's transcendent. It's beyond just being a kingdom citizen. It is literally being the image and likeness of God in the earth. That's what creation is travailing and groaning for, the manifestation of the sons of God, not the kingdom of God, because the kingdom is already here. And then seven and last, the salvation of souls. Acquisition of people to enter the kingdom of God and begin the entire process all over again. Lift your hands up. That's where we are. I got through all the notes. This is not a series. That was a little under an hour. State of the Union address. This is what we believe. This is what we are doing. This is what we are committed to as Ecclesia Global. Y'all hear that? Father, we thank you for such a great salvation. Thank you for the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your healing and your deliverance. Thank you for the life that you breathed into us by the breath of God, the Ruach of the Holy Spirit into us today. And we choose to live and not die. Thank you for the spirit of unity and the bond of peace here in Ecclesia Global locally and globally thank you for order and alignment and relinquishment to your will and purpose in jesus name anyone need to give their heart to the lord 